Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we are going to look at scriptures from Sunday to Saturday for proper five. Now, we are in the second half of the church year, the church liturgical year. The church liturgical year begins at the end of November or the beginning of December with the season of Advent as we await the coming of Jesus Christ and there are four Sundays in Advent, followed by Christmas, of course, his birth, followed by Epiphany, where he appears and he begins to show himself and manifest himself, and followed by Lent as we prepare for his death. Holy Week is a part of that. And then we have Easter where he's risen, and we have seven weeks of Easter, which we've celebrated uh, several weeks ago. And then we go to Pentecost, We have Pentecost Sunday, and followed by the first Sunday after Pentecost, which we call Trinity Sunday. And then we have the second Sunday after Pentecost, the third Sunday after Pentecost, the fourth Sunday after Pentecost. It goes all the way to November. The last Sunday after Pentecost is called Christ the King Sunday. So when we are identifying these lectionary weeks by propers, uh, they coincide with weeks after Pentecost. So if you had a liturgical calendar or you looked it up, you Googled uh, what is the proper for year 2022 or 2023 or four or five or six or seven, whatever year we may find ourselves in, then that will tell you which proper is associated with it. Now you look at your program and you can see we're looking at scriptures from Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, which is in the Pentateuch. We are looking at scriptures from 2 Corinthians, which we talked about last week, 2 Corinthians. And we continue our study of Jesus in the book of Luke, from Luke 18.31 through Luke 20, verse 8. Deuteronomy 29 on Sunday. The 29th chapter is about the renewal of the covenant. Look at verse 1. This is not in your reading, but if you have your Bible with me and you're following along with me, uh, you may turn to chapter 29, verse 1. These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab in addition to the covenant he had made with them in Horeb. So Moses, in verse 2, summoned all the Israelites, and he is renewing the covenant that he made, as he said in verse 1. And so he tells them in verse 9 to carefully follow the terms of the covenant so that you may prosper in everything you do. Now, that's something I've shared with you many, 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 many times. And I'm certainly trying to learn it myself. Do what the covenant says. Follow the terms of the covenant. And if you do, you will prosper. And if you don't, you will not prosper. So we are sharing the knowledge of the scriptures in a very 30,000 foot way, sharing the scriptures with you for about 25 minutes and encouraging all of us to read them and pray about them and think about them and giving you some suggestions and some thoughts along the way about what they may mean. But in the end, you and I are to read them and think about them and pray about them. So he starts in Deuteronomy 29, Verse 16, you yourselves know, verse 16, how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries on the way here. You saw among them the detestable images and idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold. Make sure there's no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today, verse 18, whose hearts 
turn away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of these, those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. No other gods before me, which is commandment number one, Deuteronomy chapter five. Deuteronomy chapter five. And so he says in verse 19, when such a person hears the words of this oath, he invokes a blessing on himself and therefore thinks I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. This will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. Okay, you want to do what the Lord says. You want to follow what the Lord says. Okay. Verse tw- and so just read through that. It's pretty, pretty obvious what it means. Verse 29 is a very interesting verse of chapter 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. God does not tell us everything that he's thinking. It's what that means. It's, quite, it's an extraordinary text. But what he reveals to us, what he reveals to the persons that wrote down the scriptures for us, are for us and our children forever. That we may follow the words of this law. We're going to follow the word of the Lord as he shares it with us. But there are some things that he does not share with us. Do I know what those are? I have no idea. I'm just, I just know what 2929 Deuteronomy says. And I just want to make you aware of that. Chapter 30, 1 through 10, great scripture. When all these blessings and curses I've set before you come upon you and you take them to heart, verse 1, whenever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations and when you and your, you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, verse 3, and gather you from all the nations which he scattered you. So he's going to scatter them, then he's going to bring them together. Even if you were banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord will gather you and bring you back. The Lord your God, verse 7, will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow his commands I'm giving you today. And he's going to make you prosperous. So again, Moses has been saying this from the beginning of Deuteronomy. When we disobey the Lord, or when Israel disobeyed the Lord, I should say, Um, they encountered his wrath and his judgment and his anger, quite frankly, and they were dispossessed. The Lord had mercy upon them. Sometimes they cried out to them. So we certainly see that in later scriptures. They cried out to them. They repented. He restored them. And uh, we see that particularly in Judges when they cried out and asked for another judge. God granted another judge. He lifted some them up and saved them. And he says, you will obey the Lord and follow all the commands that I'm giving you today. Very important. Deuteronomy 30, 11 to 20. Now, what I'm commanding you today, what I'm asking you to do is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up to heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it or proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It's right there. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. So it's not way out here, and it's not super disadvantageous to you. It's right there with you. And you have the power to obey it and to do the right thing. So he says, I'm setting before you in verse 15, life and prosperity, death and destruction. Life, prosperity, death, destruction. Okay? Now, verse 17, if your heart turns away and you're not obedient, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, 
I declare to you this day that you will be destroyed. You can't do that. You've got to follow the Lord. You've got to fear the Lord. You will not live long in the land, the Lord, uh, in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and cursings, curses. Verse 19, choose life. Choose life, don't choose death. Choose blessing, don't choose curses. Choose fear of the Lord versus go your own way. Choose life so that you, you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice. Hold fast to him. Love him. Hold fast. Listen. The Lord is your life. He will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there it is before you. Let us pray that our audience follows the Lord, obeys the Lord, does what the Lord says. One more scripture from Deuteronomy on Wednesday, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 3130, 3130, through 32:14. 32, listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all of his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright, and just is he. So this is another good example of doctrine. Who is God? Here he is. How should we respond to him? We should praise him. We should glorify him. He says, is he not your father, 6b, 32, your creator who made you and formed you? Isn't he the one that made you? Isn't he your creator? Isn't he the one that formed you. 32 all the way to 14. So enjoy those scriptures in Deuteronomy. Now on Thursday, Friday, and Sa uh, Saturday, we have the Apocrypha reading uh, this time, and so we just didn't put it in there. Uh, I, do, I don't comment on the Apocrypha reading, as you've heard me say in the last couple of weeks. So let's now go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. That's a very good uh, chapter, by the way. Chapter 10. He says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Okay, we're living in the world today. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We are going to submit to Christ. We are not going to use the weapons of this world. We are going to use the weapons of the Lord. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay? And so be thinking about that. I want to just share that with you. Okay? That... You want to proceed in this life with the divine grace, mercy, power, authority of God. Now, again, that's outside yourself. You cannot fight off the world, the flesh, and the devil in and of yourself. Your natural, my natural skill, I have no ability to do that. I need something outside of me to demolish these strongholds. Enjoy chapter 10. Chapter 11. If someone, in verse 4, chapter 11, if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or, or if you receive a different spirit than the one 
you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put it put up with it easily enough. But I do not think I am in the least inferior to these super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. So what he's talking about, what Paul's talking about is some people are not taking him as seriously as he should be taken. And so when he speaks, he has the authority of the Lord and the presence of the Lord. So if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the one we preach or a different spirit, the one you received or a different gospel, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think I'm in the least inferior to these super apostles or these people that think they're better than I am. Okay? And so Paul's dealing with the false apostles, those people that pretended or acted like they were superior to Paul in what they delivered or were presenting a message other than the one that Paul mentioned. Remember, we had that problem in Galatians. They, were, they had false teachers. You've got to be very, very, very careful with people that are preaching a different gospel. Now, this is what he says about it in verse 13. This is rough. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. 14, and no wonder Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So it's going to not go well for those people that preach another gospel. That's why the preaching of the gospel accurately is so important. Paul boasts about his sufferings in the second half of chapter 11 on Wednesday. Look at what he says in 24. This is heartbreaking. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 minus uh, lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, bandits, danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, the country, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and got off and gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. And then he's been concerned about the churches. What an extraordinary person Paul is. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. Then he gets a vision and the thorn in the flesh. Verse 7. To keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations that he had in the first six verses. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. For he says, when I am weak, I am strong. That is a very, very, very liberating idea. Sometimes in our suffering, there is great power. And in our weakness, there is great strength. Now, that's a paradox, isn't it? Think about that and pray about that. If you find yourself in that situation, or you find yourself afraid to be in that situation, this will be great reflection for you and for me. Paul shows his concern for the Corinthians in the second half of chapter 12. And then he closes off chapter 13 with some final warnings. Here's a couple of them I'd like to share with you. Great text. Verse 5. 
Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Again, self-reflection. Can't beat it. We cannot do anything against the truth, verse 8, but only for the truth. 11. My brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. That would be great. And the God of love and peace be with you. Verse 14. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What a great prayer for this group. That would be a great way to end each of these um, podcasts with you is to share the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I really don't have a, a closing other than to wish you well, encourage you to read, encourage you to enjoy the scriptures. May your prayers be blessed, your sins be forgiven. God, uh, be praised in your life, and may God's grace be with you, and look forward to seeing you next time. But that would be a, a wonderful send-off. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Enjoy those scriptures from 2 Corinthians and Deuteronomy. Luke 18. Jesus is on the move. He is moving toward Jerusalem to die. And he's still sharing the gospel with us. 1831. He's now going to predict his death. We're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Here's what's going to happen. He will be handed over to the Gentiles, the Romans. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him. And that's exactly what they did. And they will kill him. And that's exactly what they did. On the third day, he will rise again. That's exactly what happened. Matthew 28, Luke 16, uh, uh, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20, John 20. The disciples did not understand any of this. You see how important understanding is? Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Did not have a clue what he was saying. That's why they fled when he got arrested. They had no idea what was going on, even though he had told them three times. Then we have blind Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? Have mercy on me, he says. His name was Bartimaeus. Lord, I want to see, he replied. Verse 42, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they praised God. Jesus has the power to heal. Pray, ask him to heal you. Ask him to bless you. Ask him to deliver you. Ask him to forgive you. He will forgive you of your sins, my sins. He will restore. He will bless. He will hear your prayer. Now, I don't know when I pray for people for healing, which I do fairly often, pray for people, intercede for people, and I'm sure you do too. You pray for people. You lift people up. You remember them. You care about them. And we ask God to have mercy on them. We ask God to provide X, Y, Z for them. And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. But that does not obfuscate our responsibility or change our responsibility to pray. Be people of prayer. Let's be people of prayer. Zacchaeus in chapter 19. Jesus is going through Jericho. There was a man named Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, very wealthy person, short guy, climbs up a sycamore tree. Zacchaeus, I must come at your house today. He welcomes him. 
The people saw this. He's gone to the house of a sinner. Lord, after he is with him sometime. Here and now I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's extraordinary. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. God is here to save us. He's here to save you. He's here to save me. He's here to save us from our sins. He's here to forgive us. He's here to make things right with us and us to make right with others. And so in this wonderful interplay between God and you and me and then God and us, a lot of great things happen. There's a vertical component, God and us, and then there's a horizontal component, you and I and God. And he restores us. The parable of the ten minas. That's an interesting word. A beautiful parable, very much, uh, very strong, very much like the parable of the talents. Somebody got, got, um, got uh, let's see, how many, ta- uh, how many minas did they get? He went to a distant country. He called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work until I come back. And he was made king and returned home. He sent for the servants. The first one came, sir, your mina has given me 10 more. Well done. The second, your mina has given me five more. Well done. The other servant said, here's your mina. I kept it and put it in the cloth. So one person had a mina, 10. One person had a mina, five. One person said, I'm covering it up. And he got very angry. Take this mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10. Sir, he already has 10. Everyone who has, more will be given. As for the one who has nothing, even now, it will be taken away. So it's important to take what the Lord has given you and me as stewards until he returns and that we do something with the gift that he's given us. Here's the triumphal entry of Jesus as he goes into Jerusalem. This is 1928 and following. This is Palm Sunday liturgically for those churches that have a liturgical component. This is uh, where they have this entry into Jerusalem. Now he's coming there. Now he's going to die. Remember, I just said, he tells them three times, I'm going to die in Jerusalem. Obviously, well, not obviously, you may not know that he was killed outside of Jerusalem, but he has to go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover to die. He's going to be arrested, turned in by Judas denied by Peter and um, uh, taken by the Romans and Pontius Pilate finally acquiesces and he dies. 41 to 48, he weeps over Jerusalem. He knows what's going to happen. He goes to the temple. He gets upset. My house will be a house of prayer. You made it a den of robbers. And then finally in 20, his authority is questioned and um, they will question him, tell me, and Jesus responds by telling me, telling them, tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or men? And they did not answer. And he said, I won't tell you what, what authority I'm doing. So what happens is when Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he's going to deal with them until it's time for his, for Passover and his eventual death, his crucifixion. But in the meantime, he's going to go there. He finds out at the end of 19 that they've, uh, messed up 
the temple and he's going to respond against that. Then they're going to question his authority. He's going to deal with him about that. And as we'll see next time, we'll get into the parable of the tenants, etc., etc. So he's going to be dealing with the Jewish rulers. He just He's walking into uh, the confrontation. He's walking into his death, knowingly. He's walking into it and he's taking them on. So what we want to do is learn what happened contextually in that place and then what we can gather from these teachings. Well, looking back, good scriptures from Deuteronomy 29 and 30 and 31 and beautiful scriptures from 2 Corinthians and lots to think about with the Gospel of Luke. Next week, we'll be looking at proper six. May God be with you and may you enjoy your time and study and prayer and receiving what God has for you as you look at these holy scriptures. God bless you. Bye-bye.